0: I did some pretty fucked up things when I was a kid. On the playground, and in the neighborhood I grew up in, I was carefree and imaginative. Occasionally I would join the typical games of soccer, kickball, or buttball, but I often got bored of these repetitive activities and sought adventure and novelty. After Wayne's World had been released in theaters, I put together a karaoke cover group called Drugs and Brandy. We premiered our talents by blasting Bohemian Rhapsody from a tape player singing along with it to adoring fans. I would plan large-scale, middle-of-the-night cap gun fights in the land surrounding my home. I would organize truth-or-dare meetings on the metal staircases of the playground with the more ambitious females of the grade, accepting many pecks on the cheek but so terrified to return such affection. In my entire truth-or-dare career, I only kissed one female, and I had to take her by surprise when I did it. I put together a ghost club, and we would search the old Catholic church hallways and stairwells, and I would record, in my little diary, bogus encounters with the dead, and we would scare the living shit out of each other, conjuring up possible supernatural encounters that would occur if we did not leave from where we were standing right at that moment, and we would run in a beautiful, terrified joy. You could say there was a sense of danger and rebelliousness to all of this. You may say that I had a jones for giving it to the man and avoiding what may be conventional or sanctioned because it just didn't hold the same thrill as a naughtily named band did. That it wasn't as spicy as running away from security guards during the witching hours, guns ablazing. Sure, it was a hot kick to catch some loving from the ladies during recess, But it was even more tantalizing knowing that this wasn't allowed, right? But this sense of breaking the rules was never the initial driving factor behind these acts. Only upon later reflection did that add to the overall experience, albeit not felt at the moment of execution. No, these actions were carried out simply because, at the time, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. And who would want to stop me in the first place? As a kid, no one had ever told me that this or that was wrong, until they did, which is usually when I got busted for it. When we're accused of doing something bad, sometimes we understand what we've done wrong, sometimes we don't, but when you know you've done something wrong, you can feel it. For me, it's a distinct burning in the back of my skull. I remember the first time I felt it in grade school. We were bigger than the little kid. He must have been two grades below us. I'm not a violent person, and I don't consider myself a bully, but today I had a mind to be a punk kid gangster from something like the Warriors. I had never seen the Warriors at that time, but there were plenty of cartoons that parodied the same sentiment. We had our turf. It was behind the wooden backstop of a baseball diamond. It was shielded from the fuzz, and we could do business properly back there. But on this day, some kid was occupying the space. In my fantasy, this just couldn't be allowed. We had finally made it to be the biggest kids during our shift of recess, and the playground was ours, and I wasn't about to let this little scamp take over. We'd have to send him a message, just like in the movies. From a distance, I could see his legs beneath the lower edge of the backstop. I made my way over there without a second thought. At no time did I stop to think about what I was going to do or what it would mean. Why would I? We're on the playground, and we're playing. It was going to be great. I knew the kid would be just as excited to get roughed up from me as I was to rough him up. I approached the right angle of the backstop wood planks and swung around to where he was. I grabbed the little punk by his shirt and slammed him up against the wall. His shoulders hit perfectly and made a thump that jiggled the wood beams just right. So far, so good. I perfectly said to the little twerp, What you doin' on our turf? And the chump changed, set back with a little shake in his voice. Who are you? I admit that I had never seen this kid in my life, but everything was going exactly the plan. And apparently... I was so satisfied to the sequence of events, I can't remember what happened directly after that, nor how we let him go. But we did it. He was gone, and we'd never have to worry about him stealing our corner again. I received full satisfaction for my little gangster fantasy. Everyone played their part perfectly. I should have celebrated this little theatric with a rap party and invited drugs and brandy to perform. Ten minutes in the life of a pre-adolescent is an eternity, because it seemed like an eternity until I got busted for what I did. I had completely forgotten about the incident when I turned to see Miss McDonald looking directly at me with her arm around a screaming boy who was pointing directly at me. Tears were shooting out of his red face, and he was covering his ear with a hand that wasn't pointing. I saw this supposed charade and thought, God really putting on a show, isn't he? But he didn't hit his ear when I slammed him onto the backstop. But he's really crying. I don't know. I just don't know. This is when I felt the fire in the back of my head. It was the first time I had to face the principal something I was also very familiar with from television. But as I sat outside his office, I wasn't feeling the thrill of my role in all of this. This was all different. I wasn't being called out of the classroom for making the student body laugh or cringe. This was a wholly new sensation. This was unfamiliar and serious. Surely, my life was going to end. My head was boiling. I didn't recall feeling a sensation like this ever in my life. It's disorienting, dizzying. It completely takes over one's perception. I would have thrown myself at anyone's feet for mercy. I would have confessed to anything. I would have ended my life for forgiveness. The only thing that would bring relief to this all-encompassing hellfire was sensing that my judge and jury felt their sense of justice when I was sentenced to one day's suspension. I doubled over in a wail of guilt, and my eyes streamed as I gasped for hiccups of air so I wouldn't pass out from lack of oxygen. It was horrible, but anything was better than that fire. This feeling of being in trouble, being accused of doing something wrong, it can affect one's life. One may be confused as to why everyone around them is making such a big deal out of something this would have no effect on one's life whatsoever. But when one suddenly understands exactly why everyone is upset with them and understand exactly what the implications of their busted deeds were, this can have an everlasting effect on the rest of our lives. I never saw the kid again. greenhouse lived in a backyard three or four houses down from my friend and directly behind another friend's yard we would leapfrog and balance along the fences that lined the back of the properties and trespass without detection day after day and on the far reaches of our expeditions four houses away the greenhouse would be there every time once it had been a sanctuary for the survival of plants thriving in an unlikely habitat light would be allowed in The temperatures would be controlled. A terraformed environment allowing for the green growth and abundance against a harsh reality just outside its glass walls. Now, the plastic and ceramic pots of various sizes were flipped on their mouths. A croquet set huddled in the corner in the entrance was faded and caked in dirt. The vessels and spaces for planting were either gutted out or held dead specimens of flora. The place just sat there unused, undisturbed, and unseen inside a thicket of trees and bush. It was like a secret garden we could always depend on being there, just as it was. It was all ours. One day, I took one of the small ceramic pots from the greenhouse and placed it on some kind of pedestal outside. I went to the set of croquet mallets and picked out the red one, my favorite color. I felt the weight of the mallet in my hands and imagined having perfect aim with the head of the hammer as it would come down on its target. I've always said that the ride to Vegas is more exciting than Vegas itself. Oftentimes, the fantasy of something can be very different than the actual experience, but that was not the case in the destruction of the greenhouse. When the hammer did come down on that first pot, it was the definition of satisfaction My hands, my aim had caused an object of man to shatter into a hundred pieces in all directions. First it looked like this, and now it looked like that. And I did it. My friends and I took turns smashing pots. First it was the small ceramics, but we ran out, so we moved on to the small plastic pots. They weren't satisfying in the same way. We had to hit them a little harder to get them to break into multiple pieces rather than just splitting down the side. This wasn't a smash and run kind of thing. We were connoisseurs. We came back multiple times and with different friends. The small stuff became scarce, so we upped the ante and we started smashing the larger pots right in broad daylight. Giant hunks of clay would shoot through the air. We picked up the bigger pieces of debris and we would break them all over again. It was just as satisfying a spectator sport than it was to bring down the hammer with one's own hand. We enjoyed taking turns, and we would critique each blow and admire the results of an adjusted technique. Like when I was playing turf wars in the schoolyard, we had never second-guessed our actions. Every time we came back, nothing had been changed. Nothing had been cleaned up. Nothing put back. And there was also nothing to answer to. No entity nor force was there to interrupt our thought processes of destruction and calamity. We had almost gotten used to it. We could have destroyed the entire structure. Then, we would have adopted the dark confidence that full-on decimation of property was our birthright, a blessed act. We had no other frame of reference, and we could continue to quench our desire for destruction to God knows what end. But then... Through the white noise of our last broken glass window and the last day of the greenhouse demolition emerged a voice yelling a hundred feet from us in an adjacent yard. She was so far away that we couldn't make out her face, and under the brush, it would have been difficult for her to see us clearly. But everything was over now. The jig was up. We ran out, and we would never go back there again. In the weeks following, ne'er a memory was stirred about the incident. We went on questing for further psychic conquest without any desire to return to the greenhouse. But one day, the mother of one of my accomplices told us that the owners of the greenhouse had hired a private detective to get to the bottom of who could commit such acts of vandalism. I didn't feel that she suspected me or her son, but I froze right there where I stood, and I remained quiet for a long, long time. The following days were very troubling for me, and there wasn't much I could do to deal with the paralysis of imagining my capture. Nothing ever did come of those investigations, but today, when I think back to that moment, I know it was wrong. I know that it was a horrendous thing to do, and I can't imagine why I ever thought anything like that would have ever been a good idea. If you ask me why it was wrong... I would say that it wasn't my property, that I didn't have permission from the owners, that these acts simply aren't right, and it's common sense to know that. But I knew that back then. So, the most convincing way that I can figure that it's wrong is that when I think back to that moment of near capture, I feel the burning in the back of my skull again. I don't want to feel that. So I don't do those things anymore. And that made me understand.